Welcome back, everybody, to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. Today, I've got episode 87, and I'm going to talk a little bit, well, maybe more than a little bit, about CITES. There's an upcoming convention voting on some new proposed species into the Appendix 2 and Appendix 1 list. And then I want to answer some questions about basswood and pine, a little bit about reclaimed lumber, and the evergreen question of two-by material not actually being two inches thick, or any of the dimensions it says. So first and foremost, again, I want to thank everybody uh, who has sponsored the show, had a couple new patrons this week. Thank you so much for taking the opportunity, taking taking the, the, the chance, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, uh, just expressing your, your appreciation for the show. I get a lot of emails from people who really like the show, and I get a lot of people who put their money where their mouth is. So I appreciate that. If you are wanting to sponsor the show, go to patreon.com slash lumber update. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. And please keep your questions coming. I've got an inbox full of stuff, but I can always take more because as you guys listen to the show know, I try to kind of lump them together so there's a bit of a theme. So I may have a question that came in months ago that I'm kind of waiting for the perfect show. I, I will respond, I promise. Um, but please send them in. Send an email to lumberupdate at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we can uh, put you in queue, if you will. Of course, there's also a contact form on lumberupdate.com that you can submit your question to as well. Anyway, let's, let's move on to some industry news here. Um, transparent wood. Have you guys heard of it? It's been kind of floating around. There's been a couple of researchers who've been playing with the idea of essentially turning the lignin transparent. Um, and uh, most recently, the University of Maryland was working on this. But there's some researchers out in India now who seem to have pretty much gotten it down to the point where they've created an almost perfectly clear see-through wood material that could be used to replace glass or, or plastic in like car windshields and packaging and uh, all kinds of stuff. So it's just particularly interesting. The article that I will link to goes into the, the process of how the lignin is, is um, cleared up. <laughs> I'm not sure what the, the technical scientific term for that is. Made less opaque? I don't know. Um, but it's particularly interesting because we've seen wood kind of coming back into vogue for mass construction, like LVLs and, and things turning into skyscrapers. Could we possibly start replacing some of our more transparent surfaces? When you're talking about lead and green building points and things like that, um, having daylight, a lot of daylight coming into the structure is one of the best ways for energy conservation. And if you could actually build that wood material that would also allow in more daylight, that could be particularly interesting. So I don't know, it's just something that's bounced around a little while and it's interesting to see somebody taking it one step further and getting that much closer to application. So keep your eye on that. Um, I got uh, uh, an email from a couple of folks. Uh, first one was Brad who uh, sent me an article um, about Yo-Yo Ma. Um, if you guys don't know who Yo-Yo Ma is, I suppose you, you Maybe, maybe you couldn't. He is a cellist. He is like the cellist, the, the virtuoso of virtuosos when it comes to holding a cello. He is actually speaking out against a proposal to move Pernambuco to the CITES Appendix 1 list. Now, if you go back to my Tone Woods episode, I talked specifically about Pernambuco being Pernambuco being um, 
bow wood for violins, for cellos, for stringed instruments, and how its technical properties make it the perfect inst- or perfect wood for that application. Well, Yo-Yo Ma talks about how like he won't play a cello without a Pernambuco bow. Um, and to move it to Appendix 1, now remember, Appendix 1 is the one that says, you cannot trade this at all, ever again, no more, bye-bye. Um, uh, Cuban mahogany or Sweetina mahogany is on Appendix 1. That goes, Appendix 2 says that um, woods on here are in danger of becoming endangered. Appendix 1 says, oh, hell no. This is endangered big time. The only way you can possibly trade it is for doing like scientific experiments. It removes it from the marketplace entirely. And Yo-Yo Ma is saying, look, this is not a good idea. Um, it, In fact, the very kind of distinct, very specialized purpose of this wood means that we could have a better chance of actually protecting it. Proper regulation um, could actually have a better chance of protecting it than just outlawing it entirely. And one of the things that a lot of studies have shown is when you outlaw wood, that's when the illegal logging trade goes crazy. You know, people will find a way. Um, So it was just particularly interesting. And this actually comes out of um, uh, an article that like the headline leads you to believe that he is talking about conservation sustainability and like all for this but the twist is he's actually against this proposal um he's for sustainability and responsible harvesting and management but he's against outlawing it entirely particularly interesting which leads me to kind of the next point the cites the convention and an import and trade of endangered species. Gosh, you think I could just roll that off my head. It's just not easy to say. The Convention for Import and Trade of Endangered Species is convening um, this month, actually, November of 2022. And there are several different proposals. Well, there's a lot of proposals on the fauna side of things. On the flora side, there are quite a few proposals uh, Pernambuco being one, moving into Appendix 1, and then everything else I think is um, either moving onto Appendix 2, there's a couple, um, no, no, well, no, that's Pernambuco, I'm, I'm looking at the list right now. Pernambuco is currently Appendix 2, and they're looking to move it to Appendix 1. There is one in here that's actually saying remove it from Appendix 2, it's not in danger of being endangered anymore. Um, that's actually North Indian Rosewood, Divergia Siso. Um, but of note, um, Tabuya. Ceratifolia or Tabuya SPP, various species of Tabuya Ipe, is now um, being proposed to move to Appendix 2. And I mean, Ipe decking is like huge, enormous. Now, keep in mind, Ipe has been posed, proposed to go to Appendix 2, I think, two or three times in the past, and it has been overruled. The CITES is a convention, they meet and they vote on this. So just because it's being proposed doesn't mean it'll, it'll go there. Although, I don't know. Things are looking closer this year. That could be particularly interesting what that might do to the industry if uh, Ipe becomes a CITES-regulated species. Um, there's a couple of um, rhododendrons. Um, Afzelia is a proposal to move to Appendix 2, big in the veneer world. Uh, sometimes you find it in plywood as well. Uh, I mentioned North Indian Rosewood actually is doing better, and they're looking to remove it from Appendix 2. Kumaru. So add insult to injury for the ducking world, like the number two species in the tropical ducking world is Kumaru. And now they're talking about moving that to Appendix 2 as well. Uh, the, the Pernambuco one is on there. Paduk. 
Um, saw this one coming for a while. They're talking about moving that to Appendix 2 for African populations. Any plantation populations doesn't roll into that, as far as I can tell. Um, but that could be an interesting one, and maybe not a big surprise on that one. A surprise is the entire Kaya genus, Kaya SPP, all the species in Kaya or African mahogany are proposed to include those African populations in the Appendix 2. So there's a few annotations in that, like what, what applies to that, logs, sawn wood, things like that. Um, but still, that could be a massive move. And it, it's a little surprising to me because it's always been my understanding that um, the African mahogany logging has actually fallen off quite a bit because the price has plummeted so much that it's not worth anyone's time to go get it. It's highly possible that because it's not worth anyone's time, people are removing it in order to get to like the Sapelas and the Udali. I'm not certain on that, but it will be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. So something, something to just kind of keep in the back of your mind. I want to say the convention is... Um, 15th of November, so just next week, uh, runs through the 26th. So be, I'll be uh, kind of reporting on that as it unfolds. But keep in mind, CITES is an ongoing thing. Just because it's being proposed doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go there. Um, there's a lot that goes into this. Honestly, there's a lot of politics that goes into it as well. But it is um, something to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of because there are some major species in there that um, you know the commercial trade works with every day hobbyist woodworkers work with every single day so it'll be curious to see how all that plays out but uh, again back to the yo-yo ma article kind of interesting um, to to have someone who you know a, a big figure in the art scene you would automatically expect they would dive on the side uh, of conservation and what I love is he is on the side of conservation, but conservation smartly. Um, so let's remember, we want to be good for our planet. We want to talk about sustainable harvesting and all that, but automatically banning things might be a bit extreme. Certainly it works in some cases, but, and I don't know enough about the Pernambuco market to really be able to comment on that. I'm just kind of reporting the news here, but um, it's kind of, kind of interesting to see that little twist on the whole thing. In response to the last episode on opportunistic logging, I got an email from Ryan who uh, said he was inspired by that particular episode and said that where he lives in California, many of the roads are lined with olive trees and occasionally they fall down. <clears throat> I'm going to tackle a fallen olive trunk that's been lying alongside a local road for at least a year. Wow. It looks like one of the main trunks fell over and someone just cut it shorter and pushed it off the road. I've wanted it since I first saw it and now it's time. <clears throat> it's eight inches or more in diameter at the base and maybe seven feet before the first branch. Good Lord. <clears throat> I've worked with olive in the past and it is great stuff. Couldn't agree more. Love it. Turned it, done all kinds of stuff with it. It's a wonderful wood. I want to know what would be the best way to handle or process the material, especially since it is so dense and it's been sitting so long. Also, do you have some creative ideas for what to do with it? In line with your last podcast, I think it would make an excellent wooden plane body due to its density and oiliness. So Ryan, there's a couple things here. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, olive is one of those trees that's obviously grown for its fruit. So rarely is it cut down for lumber. It's pruned in order to produce more fruit. So, you know, it's been on the roadside for a year. Um, it's hard to know. I would guess you're probably right that it, it fell over, but it's interesting that it sat there that long. One thing I would be kind of cautious about <clears throat> is it is a you know it, it may be riven with bugs 
it is a harder wood. It is an oily wood, but it's not like an oily rot resistant, like doesn't taste good to bugs type wood. Um, I, I don't know. Obviously, California's got a totally different um, ecosystem. That Mediterranean climate is much, much different than, than what I live in out east. But you know, might not get as much yield out of it as you think. The fact that it's been there for a full year might be encouraging that it hasn't rotted away, but definitely try to roll the thing over and kind of poke at it and knock at it and see if it's got any hollow and soft spots because you may have some rot in it. Um, if that's the case, that may simplify the, the harvesting side of things. You may just need to get a chainsaw and cut out some of the rot spots, which may end up with you know, less material um, to, to worry about hauling away. One thing that, that I would recommend, um, certainly I, I get this question a lot. What do you think I should do with it? You know, that ultimately based on the size that you're talking about, it, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, but those possible rotted sections might dictate that more than anything else. If it's completely rot free, then you could actually saw this into boards, but olive trees and really, really many kind of grove fruit trees are, are very twisty. Um, they branch out, you know, dramatically. They can have very gnarly grain that um, could be, uh, could pose problems when it comes to larger boards, not so much in sawing it, but causing a fair amount of movement and twisting. So be aware of that. And if you can cross cut it into shorter lengths, uh, you might save yourself a lot of warping and twisting that may come from that. So, you know, based on what you have, you could probably build a piece of furniture out of it. Um, if you go into the sawing of that log with some idea of what you want to build from it, it certainly will help because um, you could bucket to length and have easier things to move, but also easier to saw. Um, on your idea of using it to make wooden plane bodies, I'm not so sure. What I talked about earlier about the instability, because it is, um, you know, a kind of a gnarly wood, you may find that there there may be some stability issues. I honestly don't know, um, because the olive that I have worked with in the past has always been um, quite small. You know, as I said, it's not it's not a species that uh, you normally get in larger boards because normally the trees don't really fall down that much. Um, so you do want to kind of be cautious with the possible extreme movement capabilities. Let's just look it up. Um, the, the movement is not that bad. The TR ratio is, well, it's one to six, um, 8.8 tangential. So it, it does move a fair bit. So it is something to be aware of. Um, I definitely think you need to assess the log first, make sure that it's not, you know, completely rotted. The drier Mediterranean climate will work in your favor here, but definitely want to assess that before you get too invested in trying to saw it into boards or something like that. But ultimately, you know, as you said, as I've said, olive is a fantastic wood to work with. So as much of it is that, that you can salvage, um, the better, but I do think having some idea of what you might do with it as you're logging it will help you decide on how to actually saw it, whether you're doing the sawing or certainly if you're having someone else doing the sawing for you. So uh, let's move into some of the official questions. Dan wrote to me, <clears throat> he said, I've been looking at 
different woods and possible substitutes based on an earlier discussions you had. Love to hear that. He's using his knowledge of technical properties and the wood database to, to learn about different woods. So he says the wood database has a lot of great information. One that I'm curious about is the use of white pine versus basswood. White pine is often in basswood, for those of you across the pond, linden, same thing. Um, what he, he says is white pine is often mentioned as a great lightweight wood for making boxes, crates, and the like for storing and transporting things. It's lightweight compared uh, to its lightweight compared to its durability makes it good for these purposes. Dan goes on to say that basswood seems to have pretty similar density, hardness, and strength. Is there a reason beyond um, is there a reason why basswood doesn't seem to get mentioned for these purposes when I read woodworking content? So here's the thing, Dan. There's a lot of woods out there that are going to have very similar physical properties. And you could make a case for a lot of different species being used for, you know, crates and things like that. The first thing you have to understand is cost, distribution, size of the tree, and any existing markets. That's that's four things. <laughs> that's, the, that's the first through fourth thing you have to understand. Um, cost, pine is always going to be cheaper. Um, pine grows much, 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 much faster. Pine can be harvested more often. Pine can be dried more quickly. Pine is easier to saw. It's just going to be, and it's distributed everywhere. Pine is more of a genus. Pinus is the genus. Pinus strobus is um, Eastern white pine, but there's lots of different species of pine grown all over the world that can be used. So it's always going to be cheaper than basswood. Um, distribution, as I said, grown all over the wood. Basswood is pretty well distributed, but basswood lately has become more of a kind of an ornamental wood. When you see a lot of it, um, it's not particularly large trees. Now, if you look at the wood database, the tree sizes are about the same, but I think that that doesn't, that data point doesn't really tell the whole story. You know, pine trees are growing a heck of a lot faster, get bigger a lot faster, whereas the basswood takes quite a bit longer to grow. And more often than not, you see it planted for, as I said, like around parking lots for ornamental purposes. The market demand for pine is enormous, huge. Think of all the construction lumber that is some sort of pine or, well, it could be fir as well, depending on the type of the country. But those softwoods, it's all construction lumber. Basswood is a specialty market. And where basswood excels is as a carving wood. Um, and it gets used, and especially as we've moved into uh, CNC carving machines, things like that, there's actually been a real uptick in the sales of basswood for carving purposes uh, because carving is actually coming a little bit back into vogue during in kind of the, the interior design world. Um, so basswood is now being sold um, a lot more. But here's the thing. The hobbyist carving world is quite large. And basswood is really being funneled towards that. So there's a lot of people buying basswood, cutting it up into smaller carving blocks and selling them to wood carvers. We have several customers at my yard who buy basswood by the truckload, and all they do all day long is mill it and rip it and crosscut it into tiny little figure blocks to be sold to carvers. Go to massive nationwide craft chains in the U.S. like Michael's, and you will find little blocks of basswood for carving. You think about that distribution channel, that's the established market for basswood, so there's no reason to use it for anything else. It's already got a market and considering the flow of that tree, you know, the supply chain is not as vast as pine. 
you're never going to see basswood kind of coming in and saying taking pine's place and making boxes and crates and things like that here's the thing though you as a woodworker know that this the properties are very similar so why not basswood is an absolute joy to work with it's very plain it has practically no grain so there's a lot that you can do with it as far as making it look like other woods or just keeping it relatively vanilla looking you're going to encounter a lot less issues working with it than you would with pine because pine grows super fast really wide growth rings it also dry gets dried super fast so you can have a lot more movement issues downstream basswood could be a wonderful um, wood to work with. Just recognize you may have a little bit more trouble finding it because of that supply chain issue. And it's going to be more expensive because it is a slower growing tree, but it also has a highly specialized market that nets a pretty good profit when you think about the amount of work that goes into making those little carving blanks. So yeah, it's market competition, I think more than anything else that is going to interfere with basswood competing with pine. Next, I have a question from Vafa about two by lumber, specifically two by twelves. He said, did you know that nowadays nominal two by 12 lumber are not one and a half by 11 and a half? They're actually one and a half by 11 and a quarter. Yes, that's correct, Vafa. Um, I designed a staircase based on 11 and a half and I had to move all my cut lines a quarter inch in and attach some two by lumber on it to stay within the building code. Went to both Home Depot and Lowe's and measured all the two by twelves and it was all the same. I saw a lot of two by twelves that the width reading was actually 10 and 7 eighths of an inch. Now, here, well, here's the first thing. Officially, two by 12 lumber is one and a half by 11 and a quarter. And you'll find that that quarter inch dimension is the same for two by 10s, two by eights, and I think two by sixes. Now I'm not remembering. Um, no, 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 two by sixes are, are, are five and a half. And the reason for this is wood movement is a percentage game. So the wider the board, the more movement you're going to see. So let's back up. Construction lumber is sawn into boards before it's dried. Um, it's then dried, so it shrinks. So if it's sawn to a 2 by 12 actual 2 inches by 12 inches, then it's dried. It's going to shrink. Then it's planed, and you're going to remove even more material. And that's where that one and a half dimension comes from, both from shrinkage, but then from planing into, uh, you know, flat and parallel faces. The um, 12 inch dimension starts at 12 inches. It shrinks significantly and then is planed and jointed. Essentially, it's really molded. It's sent through in one pass and cuts on four sides. And that's how you end up with uh, 11 and a quarter. And what has happened is there's trying to be there's trying to be some standardization um, in that in in that construction lumber. And what was happening is every board was slightly different. So they were drying it and then planing it, and you ended up with one board you could net. You know, maybe one board would get eleven and a half. Another board would get eleven and three eighths. Maybe one board was eleven and three quarters. But more and more of them were were kind of scant um, of eleven and a half. So you have to set the molder to cut something and you want it to set to a number that's that's you know the lowest common denominator so that every board comes out the same and just the industry has creeped to the point where 11 and a quarter is now uh, the finished number and could that be because the construction lumber is being dried so quickly could that be because construction lumber these days is grown specifically to be construction lumber, so it has wider growth rings? It's going to experience just more shrinkage than there used to be? 
absolutely that's the case for that. Um, but no, uh, 2x12 lumber has not been 11 and a half for some time. I would say at least 10 years, if not 15 years. Yes, it used to be 11 and a half, but is not anymore. And you know, meeting codes on stair treads, uh, it's actually why just about every stair company that I sell to, they're, they're using hardwood for this. Um, or uh, if it's external applications and they're using pine, they're using pressure-treated pine, which is so wet that it hasn't shrunk that much. Um, it's specifically meant to be used outside. It stays swollen with the pressure treatment that, that happens, so it doesn't quite shrink that as much as you would the uh, interior already kiln-dried type stuff. So yeah, sorry to tell you this, um, that is the accepted dimension for that. It's only the two by six is the break point where a two by six, instead of being five and a quarter is five and a half. And that's just because of that percentage game of, of wood movement. Um, it's not shrinking as much as those wider boards. So yeah, I, there was a while back where there was um, lawsuits that went down because they were still calling it two by eight, two by four, et cetera. And people were, were saying the same thing you were. Um, and now you'll actually find the actual dimensions listed. So I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't looked recently. If you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, the actual dimension listed for that two by 12 is one and a half by 11 and a quarter. Um, I would be shocked if it doesn't say that considering Lowe's already got sued and lost and that Home Depot just followed suit um, because they didn't want to get sued at the same time. As far as what you're finding with 10, um, 10 and 7 eighths, I think it was, that may be that material got mixed in. Um, I, I wouldn't imagine you would have that much shrinkage. You certainly wouldn't have that much shrinkage. It sounds to me like somebody got some boards mixed in. Um, but they, they should be uniform. Um, and that's why of that size, because of the fact that you have to, as I said before, have that kind of lowest common denominator of sizes. So there we go. Interesting question. I wanted to definitely highlight that because it's something that I think a lot of us in the lumber industry have been working with lumber kind of take for granted, but now we just don't talk about it. So those new to the industry, new to construction in general may not quite understand why, why it's the case. You know, why is my two by four not a two by four? Why is my, um, in, in this particular kind of nuance, why is my two by 12 not 11 and a half? Uh, rather it's 11 and a quarter. So good question. So let's close things out with a question from Chad, which is a good question, but it's also a sneak preview of an episode to come, most likely the next episode on reclaimed wood. Chad says, uh, in a couple of recent podcasts, you discussed reclaimed lumber from historical restorations. You also mentioned a potential upcoming episode on reclaimed lumber. Well, I just mentioned it again. It's coming soon. I'm an amateur luthier, and I, I, I like to use locally sourced woods for my instruments. However, in the Midwest, in the Chicago area, the locally grown softwoods are not ideal. So I'm always on the lookout for reclaimed softwoods that have some local history. Old growth spruce, cedar, redwood, or Douglas fir are all great options, but they're not easy to find. Plus, I need them to be quarter sawn. Any suggestions to help in my search? So this is interesting. And in the next episode, I have Alan Solomon and Class Armster uh, on, they actually wrote, uh, a book that's in my hand right now called Reclaimed Wood. Uh, so first of all, if you're interested in Reclaimed Wood, I have now uh, read through this. Well, it's not really a read-through book. It's almost like a coffee table type book, but I've actually, I'd say, probably read about half of it. Lots of glorious pictures, really well done. Uh, Reclaimed Wood, a field guide by Alan Solomon and Klaus Omster. Uh, I got my copy on Amazon. Highly recommend it. It's just a beautiful book 
to begin with. Um, <laughs> the fact that I have them on the show in the next couple episodes has nothing to do with that endorsement. I bought it uh, because I love wood and it's a great book. That would be a good place to start because they talk about the different kinds of reclaimed wood and where they're coming from. But in that episode, we also talk um, about uh, how difficult sourcing can be. So this addresses Chad's question. It can be difficult to source because it's kind of the Wild West of the lumber world. Um, defects mean nothing. Kiln drying means nothing. Um, uh, bug documentation, <laughs> fumigation documentation, it, it just doesn't exist. So you'd never quite know what you're getting. And a lot of times it's been dug out of a barn or dug out of a water tank or out of an industrial building by opportunistic type individuals who are in it for that particular sale. It's very rare to find someone with any amount of consistency or longevity in the lumber business. It's much more opportunistic. We were tearing down this building. We thought we might make some money off this wood. Um, it's only guys like Alan and Klaus that have kind of turned it into a business and they're the ones who are now buying from the cowboys who are only in it for that one-time deal. And it, it really makes it difficult to source. However, Reclaim Lumber itself has become so popular that Google it. I mean, I'm sorry to answer with, a, with an obvious question, Chad, but if you Google Reclaim Lumber or Reclaim Lumber Yard, uh, reclaim wood yard uh, near Chicago. It'll probably autocomplete that. I just did that. And uh, actually, yeah, I was going to recommend these guys. The Jay Hoffman Lumber Company is one of the ones that comes to mind. They actually come up. But there's another one in here called Stockyards Brick and Timber that um, looks like they're reclaiming stuff from the Pullman uh, Company, the, the railroad company guys. The point of this is... Chicago and the Chicago land area is, is renowned for industry. It's renowned for its architecture. Any major city in the, in the U.S., you're going to run into a reclaimed lumber market because there's these really old buildings. Alan, um, the guy I'll have on the episode, he has a yard in Brooklyn, and he got his start just based on kind of as a history buff and understanding some of the buildings in New York City. Chicago would be very much the same. You're going to find a lot of old industrial buildings, water tanks, um, uh, uh, factories, things like that, where there's going to be a lot of reclaimed lumber. And go figure, when you do that reclaimed lumber Google search, you find a lot of yards. The Great Lakes Yard, there's another one, specializes in reclaimed lumber. I don't know where they are. I know Hoffman, uh, Jay Hoffman is in, um, oh shoot, it's got, it's wood in the name, um, uh, Sycamore, Sycamore, Illinois. I don't know where that is, but I find it cool that a lumber company has, is based in a wood named town. Um, that would be the first thing I'd recommend. Because it's so popular, you're actually going to find a lot of hits on Google. Now, what you may find is, you know, companies that are capitalizing on the popularity and they don't really have that much reclaimed lumber. Um, but you also will find some companies out there who really specialize in it. But even if you find the lumber yards that don't really specialize in it, they picked up a load or two to kind of capitalize on the popularity, you can talk to them about where they're getting it. Because the funny thing is, and we'll talk about this in the upcoming episode, the mainstream lumber companies, like the company I work for, we're not really keen on reclaimed lumber. We recognize that it's there. We don't really mind it, but we don't really want to deal with it. Um, it's a totally different supply chain and it's a totally different curation uh, and inventory model than what we're used to. 
and it can be very difficult to try to do both. If you're doing, uh, you know, we'll just call it new lumber and reclaimed lumber, you almost have to have a staff and like a business running in parallel. So most of the mainstream lumber yards don't really mess in reclaimed. So if they've brought in a load or two, you can have a conversation with them and they're going to probably freely tell you where, you know, people you can call, people you can source from. But here's the other thing. If you're in a large city, you know that there's buildings everywhere. So on the, the, the kind of tertiary markets, the Facebook marketplaces, the Ebays, the Craigslist, you're going to find reclaimed lumber. And it's highly worth um, checking those out. If you go back to the episode I did with Tommaso on auctions, look up auctions, you're going to find all kinds of reclaimed lumber. And going there, this is what Tommaso told us, going to those auctions, you're going to find other people who buy reclaimed lumber. So they may have their own inventory, they may know of other auctions, they may know of other resources. It's kind of an old school networking type thing to find these um, sources. But buyer beware, right? I mean, you're going to be buying material that that who knows how long it's been sitting around. It probably has most definitely not been kiln dried. It has not been treated for bugs, or maybe it has, you never know. Um, it may be really punky and rotten. And you know, as a luthier, <laughs> not a lot of tonality coming out of rotten wood. So you have to be a little bit pickier there. As far as having to have quarter saw material, I would be willing to bet unless you go to a really, really specialized lumber yard, uh, Armstrong Lumber up in Connecticut is a really specialized lumber yard that they may have some quarter saw material or they will at least develop it for you. But most of these lumber yards don't have material necessarily ready to sell. They have raw reclaimed material and they treat it, dry it, saw it, mold it, etc., to fit and order. Um, it's rare that they have just kind of stacks that you can pull from, things like that. So it can kind of complicate the situation a little bit more. And you may have to focus on just buying wider boards and sawing your quarter sawn out of that. Or, you know, as a, as a luthier, you're going to need some wider soundboards and things like that. You can still get a wide 15-inch wide board, especially if it's old growth. It's going to have tight growth rings. You're going to have you know, six inches of, of quarter on either side of that central cathedral. So you may have to buy the wider boards in order to get the quarter sawn. Buying specifically quarter sawn may not happen. And that would be my first suggestion is don't think of it like going to a lumber yard and buying cherry or walnut or maple. It's a totally different market. Sources are different and the way of stocking it and selling it and just caring for it, kind of keeping an inventory is totally different. But a, a couple of other... Um, kind of data points. I got an email from a gentleman named Cypress Gonzalez, who's out in the Bay Area, California. He runs uh, White Owl Woodworks. He got his hands on um, a whole bunch of material reclaimed from, oh shoot, the Oakland Bridge, I wanna say. Um, yeah, the Oakland Bay Bridge. So he's got 13 tons of steel um, and, and wood products and things like that. And he's kind of built his business around not only woodworking, but steelworking with reclaimed materials, just because he happened to be nearby, you know, he's in the Bay area and happened to be nearby the bridge and they were taking it down and, you know, it was kind of seized the moment, seized the opportunity. So you may find yourself in a similar situation understanding, and this is where picking up something like the reclaimed wood book, understanding where these woods that you use for, for Luthery, come from, what their further applications were, like water tanks, um, can help you understand a source to go for, 
for that type of thing. And then going to those Facebook marketplaces and things like that, and not just searching for reclaimed wood, but searching for reclaimed water tank wood will go a long, long way. I'm making a bit of an intuitive leap there. Um, you're the Luthier, not me, but I would think water tank wood would be one really good resource for a lot of these um, uh, uh, cedars, firs, Alaskan yellow, um, things like that, <coughs> spruce as well. So understanding those sources and how they were used before, um, uh, he, he went on, or Chad went on to say, you know, I see these images of huge yards with stacks and stacks and Western red cedar. Where did all that go? That's where a lot of it went. They went into factories during the industrial revolution, which is the massive method of growth here in the U S um, huge growth in cities. They went into water tanks. They went into to beams in factories, flooring in factories, steel mills, all kinds of stuff. And this is where this wood is now coming into the reclaimed market or in many instances that wood is is gone it's been destroyed um just because it, it's it went through a very very hard life in a factory somewhere and it just got torn up and thrown away or rotted away things like that but what's left is what's now entering into this reclaimed market um i would urge you to look up um alan solomon uh in brooklyn i know that's no, not close to you, but uh, the Sawkill Lumber Company in Brooklyn. Um, give Alan a call. He is a fantastic guy. He's on the, the episode upcoming. He'll be happy to talk to you about sources and how some of this material is used. But as I also said, <laughs> buy his book. <laughs> There's a lot of really good information in there as well. Uh, Klaus Armster and Armster Lumber up in Windsor, Connecticut. They are a specialty reclaimed lumber yard. Again, nowhere near Chicago, but may be able to point you to some sources in the Chicago region. In fact, they may have some of those sources as well. Or based on the luthier work that you're doing, you're not talking about huge long boards. They may be able to develop some material for you. And with a single order, you can end up with sound boards for days. Um, so yeah, I would definitely do some Google searching. The popularity of reclaimed lumber means you're gonna get hits in your region, but ultimately knowing what species that you're looking for and then researching and figuring out how those species were used in the early 1900s, um, the late 1800s, then you've got an idea of what specific reclaimed material to look for and that's gonna really help narrow down your search. So this whole reclaim thing is, is really fascinating and um, I'm gonna say this again, this is really a big preview to the next episode on reclaimed lumber. Uh, I'll say this now and I say it again in that episode. If people have specific questions about reclaimed lumber, please email them to me. Again, lumberupdate at gmail.com. Send them in because both Alan and Klaus have agreed to, you know, if we get enough questions to come back on the show and address the questions directly. So good luck, Chad, um, on your material. I'd love to hear um, how you make out. Uh, what kind of sources you uncover, and certainly what kind of stories that you uncover as you reclaim some of this wood. It's very, very cool stuff. And I think I think that will do it for me this week, folks. Um, some good questions this week. I always appreciate the questions. And uh, stay tuned for some of the stuff that's happening in CITES. We'll be finding out in the next couple of weeks how this voting goes and what happens to those species um, that are being proposed for Appendix 2. So in the meantime, go buy some hardwoods. Go buy some reclaim woods. Go buy some tone woods. Whatever. Insert your favorite type of wood there. Just go get some.